Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. Hey, everyone. It's me, TV. Just reminding you. We have t shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shower curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon. Get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. You're listening to KZOM. Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us, once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Let us rock, let us roll, let us hold on to 16 as long as we can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey everyone, it's me, DB Spitzer, and to my virtual right, as always, Farmer Dave, how the heck is it going? It is well. Nice. Very nice to hear. <laughs> so, I, uh, I had a, I, I, I'm recovering from John Fromm. I don't know how you're doing. <laughs> I, I, I had a great John Fromm day. Yeah, there seems to be a, a little bit of a, a, a community hangover left over from, uh, John Fromm day, but it was, it was a good celebration. Went down to Oblivion's and, and uh, wore my uh, Hawaiian shirt, and uh, some people wore T-shirts with U, S, or A written on it, yep, and yep. Uh, we had a great time. Yeah, some uh, some homemade uh, uniforms for sure. It was uh, pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, I had, okay, I'll tell you one thing, canned pineapple juice and rum, like no, no, no other mixers. Uh, that that much sugar and that much alcohol is a recipe for a terrible, terrible, terrible hangover. But uh, luckily, uh, this morning at Oblivion's, you can get spamasubi. Uh, so they're 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 just making spamasubi for everyone. Grilled pineapple. Everyone just you know swing on down to Oblivion's. Uh, treat your hangover that way. I, I no, normally it's corned beef hash for me, but. 
Oh man, Spam Musubi, I picked up a bunch of those and ate them on the way to the station this morning. Uh, and that station is KZOM, Oleander, Oregon, the place to be and be seen. I know it's a radio station. It's an old logo, or uh, old slogan. Uh, Dave? And I am broadcasting from Uncle Owen's Goat Farm, and you may have just heard my uh, Guardian Livestock Dog. <laughs> yeah. How, how, how's everything out at the farm this week? It, it is good. We got a little bit of snow this morning, but yeah. uh, we're, we're countdown. We've got um, uh, pretty much four weeks. Oh, we had, um, we had some surprise lambs. Oh, nice, nice. We had a couple of lambs born. Um, and but uh, the goats, the big goat herd, will be birth about 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 a month now. Okay, cool, very awesome, very awesome. Uh, everything down in the cemetery is uh, quiet as a grave these days, which is really nice. Um, yeah, no, we got a little bit. We, we got a little bit of snow down here in town. Uh, it didn't stick around very long, though. I think the wind no. blew it all away. <laughs> Maybe up 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 up. Up the up towards your place, uh, yeah. yeah. So what now, are we now? Uh, real quickly, yeah. though, just a little before we get off some some John Fromm day. Sure, sure. Uh, you know the thing that I like at Oblivion's, yeah, is the Vata Nua uh, coconut cake. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and and for those of you who have not had Vata Nua coconut cake, mm-hmm. it, it's got coconut. Yeah. Uh, it's got uh, butter. It's got vanilla, and of course, it's got sugar in it. And it's a it's a it's a cake, of course, but my mind is so it's delicious, mm-hmm. especially you know Oblivion's puts in a little bit of extra butter, and I love that butter taste. But my mind is so convinced that anytime I'm going to have a coconut anything cake, uh-huh. it's going to be chocolate. Ah, and, and then it all of a sudden by my mouth and you know and i see it there's no chocolate on this cake <laughs> but i'm programmed by the the mass chocolate media uh-huh. that my coconut cake's gonna taste like chocolate and then all of a sudden um it explodes with vanilla flavor and i'm like wow this is amazing every year although uh, one of the things darcy because you know there's also chocolate uh-huh. Uh, macadamia nuts. Yeah. So she puts um, that in the microwave, melts it, and then puts it on her cake. And you know, uh, I've heard that's really good. Yeah. Uh, if you talk to Rooster or Hans back in the kitchen, they will squirt chocolate on it. I mean, they'll put it chocolate on anything if you know. If you ask, <laughs> if you but them. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's an extra extra two dollar tip. I'll put chocolate on your roast beef. <laughs> Pretty much. But so, so I did the John Fromm trivia before yeah. we get to our, you know, our traditional, sure, like, sure. the Cthulhu mythos yeah. that maybe people are listening for. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought maybe we'd have some, a couple of John Fromm trivia questions. Ooh. So, um, so uh, it started in Tana Island. Uh-huh. Tana Island is the part of what country? A, the Federation of Micronesia. B, the Republic of Vatanua, C, the Kingdom of Samoa, or D, the United States of America. Oh, man. I'm going to go with uh, B on that one. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner. Oh, Chicken wow. dinner or Vatanua and cake. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's That, that was my guess because of the cake. <laughs> All right. Give me another one. So, um, okay. 
Into the Fire is a 2016 documentary about the volcano on Tana uh, on Tana Island. It was directed by who? Oh, a, Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. B. George Lucas. C. Warner Herzog. Or D. James Gunn. Oh goodness! I'm gonna say uh, Werner Herzog. Ding 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 ding. Oh, Correct. Right. Cool. We, we, we like to hear my Warner Herzog impersonation. Go for it. I'd like to see the child now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know he said a lot of things, but I only remember him from uh, what his voice from um, uh, um, uh, the Mandalorian. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Okay. All right. What? What? what so, we, okay. Got, what? got two more for you. Ready? Okay, cool. What famous atheist? Proposed that John Fromm Day become a global atheist holiday. Huh. Richard Dawkins? B. Stephen Gould? D. Sergio Marqueta? Or, or I'm sorry, that was B. A D. Anton LaVey. I'm going to guess B on this one. Close. It, it was Richard Dawkins. Okay. Okay. All right. And and, and then you know uh, I was there and um, Minion, you know, was out there and he was saying, you know, Richard Dawkins isn't an atheist. He was the first person on Family Feud. <laughs> no, Minion, that was Richard Dawson. <laughs> but okay, Don Hogan's hero. No. Oh, if 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 okay, Minion well, was what? a little bit smarter, he wouldn't be a Minion. He'd be a full-on villain. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so one last one, ready? Sure, sure. So since 2013, the John Fromm Society has been led by a woman. Okay. That is A, Selena Oliveira, B, Raquel Murillo, C, Akta Jimenez, or D, Fatim Gusset. I'm going to say D. Ding, 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 ding. The others are all characters for Money Heist. Okay. I did not. I mean, you know that I haven't seen Money Heist, so. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was, uh, that was um, uh, everyone learned something, even me. <laughs> but isn't true John Farm Day really about the cakes we ate? Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. about community and, uh, and uh, what, 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 what gifts we get. <laughs> from the that, that, that's it for John Fromm Day until next year. Yeah, I hope everyone had a good John Fromm, uh, and I hope everyone's having a good February. Uh, I, I know I have. Um, yeah, and uh, right now we still have astounding stories of super science going on the other part of the uh, podcast feed, the the, the the daily part, as this is the weekly part. And it's day- astounding. Yeah, it is astounding. What's astounding to me is uh, what are we talking about this week? So we are talking about a couple of things. Sure. The esoteric order of Dagon. The EOD. And flying pops. The FP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah flying flying polyps and we've also got yeah, esoteric order of Dagon. Don't we have one of those in town? Um I I so there's an esoteric order of Dagon sign. Uh, yeah. Which a lot of people confuse with the Starbucks logo. Okay. But uh uh other than um 
I've seen other than the building. I don't know. I see lights at night, but yeah. I, I don't know if people actually meet there. I just know that there's a sign. I I, 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 I thought that that was maybe something someone put up as a joke. Couldn't tell. All you right. Could. And, uh, yeah, and, oh, I wanted to read something that someone sent in. This is uh, a review from Bad Shark Blackhand. Uh, Yogg-Sothery interviews and RPG discussions. DB, that's me, and Farmer Dave wow me each week with discussing rare bits from the Cthulhu mythos and how to use them in your tabletop role-playing game, plus great interviews with talented weird creators and themed audio stories several times a week. And I listened for Ralph the Rooster to give his opinions, one of my favorite podcasts. And uh, that was from... Wow, thank you. Yeah, no, and, and uh, I know it's not from you or me because... There's uh, no spelling errors. There's, there's no spelling errors. <laughs> so, yeah, that was... Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, Black Shark... Uh, Bad Shark Blackhand. So, Bad Shark, you are... Uh, you, you are officially a uh, Towns member now, so... Uh, You're a good shark in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, let us know where you'd want to live in uh, Oleander. So, hey, uh, and if you want to be a part of Oleander, write us a letter, write us, write us something, uh, and and y- you can move to town. Uh, <laughs> give us a review, and 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 who knows, maybe we can talk to uh, Hans and Rooster about getting you a position at uh, Oleanders or uh, uh, Oblivions. Anyway, so. Dave, what do we want to get started on? Do we want to well, talk about the esoteric well, order? Let's 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 start with the esoteric order of Dagon. All right. So, what's the first thing we need to know about the esoteric order of Dagon, Dave? They're esoteric. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, for, for 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 people who aren't, uh, you know, Scrabble, Scrabble. Uh, Enthusiasts and uh, crossword puzzle winners, uh, wordy winners. Uh, what's what's esoteric mean? So it's sort of like a, a hidden knowledge, or maybe it's not hidden, mm-hmm. but it's you gotta dig for it. Okay, all right. And so they have some sort of of knowledge. Um, now, um, we see we see the esoteric. Um, and because I felt guilty, I did just look it up, but it's understood by a few okay. with specialized knowledge. That's pretty, um, so we see though in the twenties, it's kind of be kind of a heyday of esoteric orders, the odd fellows, masons. Um, so even though Lovecraft himself is going to be this super atheist, mm-hmm. And he's just not going to believe anything you can't be proved by science. Yeah. He's going to know what Masons is. He's sure. going to know what Fraternal Societies is. Definitely. Now, was Lovecraft himself a Mason? I don't I, believe so. I doubt that. I really doubt. So the theory is that his father may have been a Mason. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because his father was basically a traveling salesman. Yeah. Yeah. And most traveling salesmen at that time did do what they could to make connections, especially if they're going to go into a new town. Sure. And Masonic orders were 
a way to do it. Yeah. So it, it's distinctively possible that that Lovecraft's father was a Mason, but if he was, it was probably just for business. Yeah. Um, and he has Lovecraft's father has very little to do with Lovecraft's life. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it is. Even if he was a Mason, it's very unlikely that he inspired any Masonic ideas or tropes uh, in the young Lovecraft. Oh, sure. Uh, and definitely the theory that he was some sort of super secret Mason that taught all the secret magic stuff to his son, and that's just, that's just fanfic. I've never even heard that. <laughs> so, so one of the one of the theories, which is nobody really believes, but yeah. one of the internet theories, is that Lovecraft got the ideas from his father, who had learned them from some sort of Mesotonic, uh, uh, Messianic uh, order. Which there's just no reason to believe that. But his dad, his dad, realistically could have been a Mason. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, my my guess is either uh, while. Well, at some point in time in his adult life, he looked up a book on, uh, I don't know, things like masonry, not masonry, you know, Freemasonry and uh, Rosicrucianism and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, I, I, I doubt it was from his childhood unless, no, it, yeah. <laughs> it, no, he's it, probably in this case more inspired by like the writings of, uh, Helena Blotsky, sure. who, who yeah. writes these very esoteric books, <laughs> but, uh, and uh, Theophacy. Yeah. Although yeah. it is also possible that he could have encountered things like a Masonic temple or Masons when he was in New York. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I don't think he was any evidence he was ever associated with them. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's part of the culture. It's part of the zeitgeist. It's, you know, it's 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 right up there with like finding Pluto and things that were invented around that period of time that, you know, uh, artists stuff like that. I mean, Lovecraft was writing what was brand new at the time. He wasn't like, you know, it's like when people write uh, Lovecraftian pastiches now and they like make it in the 1920s. That's not what Lovecraft was doing. It'd be like if you took a popular science magazine and decided to write uh, fan fiction about the sciences is, is, is like what I like to think of uh, what Lovecraft was doing. And like nowadays it would be like if you were going to be if, if Lovecraft was writing, he'd probably be writing about... Actually, no. If Lovecraft, love, uh, I'm not going to make that joke. If if Lovecraft was writing now, he would be writing about the stuff that was going on, the things that were new, and his fears about those things. So I, I don't know if we would necessarily find it palatable. Uh, a lot of days. a lot of splitting genes, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Franken uh, uh, Franken food. Yeah, no, and it is like, would would Lovecraft be totally into QAnon? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, honestly, I think in, in this particular case, I think Lovecraft would laugh at the Q. Lovecraft would be Q. Yeah, yeah. He would be like writing all these things and I can't believe these people are believing me. Dear Clark Ashton Smith, I made a bunch of people in Texas believe this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So so we we don't see a lot of the esoteric order of sure. Dagon. Yeah. But it, it is kind of... So this is... 
and you're gonna have to kind of forgive me, but this is kind of the analogy I see. Sure. Esoteric order of Dagon is to the order the old gods to what Shen Fin was to the IRA. Okay. So in the the 19 and I don't think Lovecraft ever saw this, but and and the IRA was active in the 20s, definitely uh-huh. in the 30s. But so there was a basically a political wing that could be presented to the public, the community, and as far as I know, Shen Fin still exists. Uh-huh. Uh, um, but so this is sort of the this is kind of the, the Scientology, and this is of course. 30 years before Scientology, sure. where it's the presentable. I don't really see them as very missionary. Yeah. I think they would take in believers. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'd sacrifice believers. Sure. But this is sort of the acceptable human face to the outer God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um... Yeah, like imagine if the uh, Eagle Lodge worshipped giant uh, eagles from eagles. outer space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're not necessarily going to be going around then at that point and going, "Hey, uh, do you want to join the Eagles?" Uh, it's I don't know. I, 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 the, who knows? There may have been esoteric orders of Dagon in other towns that had deep ones. So, so there's a really good short story sure. uh, set in the 40s called Big Fish. Ah. And it's in Hollywood. Okay. And uh, it's, a, it's a private detective. It takes place during, uh, we can do a whole show on the Battle of Los Angeles. Yeah. But Battle of Los Angeles is this real thing where uh, they thought that the Japanese were invading the West Coast mm-hmm. and they just started shooting all the guns. Um, so in this story, it's a private detective who's chasing down uh, a lost person or something. But he goes to the esoteric order, the Hollywood or San Pedro, the Los Angeles uh-huh. version. Uh, so, yes, the, the, at least in later stories, they're all over. Okay. All right. Because that would make sense if there was maybe something that they'd set up. Um, but I could also see it being a thing that only existed in Innsmouth before the feds came in and busted everything up. Uh, yeah, Ken Newman wrote Big Fish. Okay. All right. If uh, if you know how to get a hold of it, check it out. I, I, I think I want to, for sure. That it, sounds good. It, it, it's in most... Um, uh, deep one anthologies. It's a, it's a, it's a really it's it's actually one of my favorite short stories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you can find it in most or not quite a few. Um, at least I believe in the tour printed ones. Oh, cool! Very cool. So this is something that I find very sort of interesting, and we yeah. see this also with the the other sort of almost acceptable, not quite cult. Um, Starry wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they that they're centered in ex churches. Okay. There, there, there's, and, and part of that makes sense. Um, and I don't doubt that there were churches in the depression after the depression mm-hmm. went bankrupt for yeah. lack of a better word and had to sell their property. Sure. Um, but I think that that's sort of also symbolic. That they're attempting to basically 
surplant Christianity and other traditional religions sure. with their beliefs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I can imagine like uh, Starry Wisdom's kind of like that uh, smaller uh, Mexican food chain in the Pacific Northwest that uh, buys out old KFCs and Burger Kings and Wendy's and Hot Nows and other places that have gone out of business and then refurbishes them and uh, paints them orange and then sells really good burritos for under $5. Um, muchas gracias. If you're out there and you want to sponsor us, we love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes. So we we don't really see. I mean, we're from other other writers, but we don't really see a lot outside of the, the Shadow Over Innsmouth about the esoteric order of Dagon. But I think the one visual presentation of their rights, uh, and of course, it's it's kind of gored up, uh, is the movie Dagon. Yeah. 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 Which, say what you want about that movie, from a color stance, from a, a filmography, it's uh, a beautiful movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that beauty is marred with blood all over the place. Sure. But, so that's where we really see the, I think, the visual representations of at least the secret ceremonies of Dagon. And, and that's part of the thing of the esoteric, uh-huh. is it's going to have family safe, work safe things like secret handshakes and but then it's gonna have the underneath members only the deeper, darker uh, this is how the universe really is yeah, yeah (laughs) it makes me think about I don't know um like, you know, there's there's the secret handshakes and secret initiation of the Masons and whatnot, supposedly. I mean, I, I know that there is, and, and various organizations have their secret um, initiation rites and everything. And it's, it's like, oh, okay, so in a community where the whole, whole fact of who they are and what they are is a secret already, um, like the deeper secrets of the universe uh if, if it has to be hidden from the public <laughs> in Innsmouth must must be pretty terrible <laughs> absolutely and, and we think of we think of these cults kind of getting their visions directly from their their deities yeah you know Cthulhu dream but they had to have the mundane version of you know Sunday school yeah yeah <laughs> you know, so may, 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 maybe you know their version of Sunday school is you know painting blood on Zanuck Allen's you know effigy or something, but but yeah, they, they uh, you know and, and and we see a little bit about this. The one where we do see there, and, and it's kind of different. And I'm going to explain sort of the difference uh, is in the festival. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The festival is in these. He returns. He's accepted. Sure. And, and, but once it goes underground, mm-hmm. everything's out in the open. Oh yeah, yeah. Everything's out in the open. We got Baiki. We got you know burning intelligent flames. The esoteric. The difference between that and the esoteric order of Dagon 
is that there is this wainscoting veneer trying to cover up the bikey, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the talking flames, sure, um, the underground. So it is. It's almost the esoteric order uh, uh, of Dagon is almost a gateway drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It may have been a remnant from an earlier stage before the town had gone so downhill. I mean, the town Innsmouth, which we're not talking about this week. They have the grocery store. That's public. They have a bus that goes back and forth. That's public. And they have a hotel that's, you know, for the public. So, yeah, I I guess maybe up until a few years ago, there may have been a reason to have a public face before everything degenerated to its current state. Uh, If we're speaking 1928, 1929 in Smith. And even then, we don't see this, but it's kind of hinted. This might have been something basically... It's part of the city's conversion. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, in the 1800s, you know, maybe this is how, you know, Marsh spread his teachings. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, there was talk that he uh, closed the church down and uh, then the esoteric order of Dagon came in. So I think I think it was more of kind of like a, a switch. It's like you've either got this or you've got this. But but yeah. and But maybe this is a place that he could have at least enticed city folk or, you know, the city of Innsmouth at that time to oh, come yeah. and, and at least listen to what he had to say. Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah. As opposed to saying, yeah, we're uh, we're going to bring in a bunch of Polynesian fish god uh, women <laughs> for you to have children with. Yeah, no, it's more like, who likes gold? <laughs> Who's tired of a god that doesn't answer your prayers? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Who wants fish and gold? Yeah. But that, that, that's basically what I've got about the esoteric order of Dagon. That's about all I have, too, Dave. That's all I have, too. Uh, I always imagine that they wear funny hats and have medallions and do all kinds of chanting and hopping around. Probably. Yeah. All right. Okay, um, before we get going too far, I just want to say, hey, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And if you want to be like Bad Shark Blackhand and have your name mentioned and be a member of Oleander uh, Community, uh, why not write a review, uh, post it on, I don't know, uh, wherever, and then let us know so we can read it out loud. I, I just stumbled up, uh, across uh, Bad Shark's uh, review, and yeah, um, if, if, if you want to hear your, your, your handle, your, your call sign, your, I don't know. Uh, whatever people call them nowadays, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I, 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 I'll say it. I'll say it out loud. I'll, I'll scream it from the uh, rooftops of the bowling alley, the six-story bowling alley in downtown. So, yeah, for those who haven't seen it, it's six lanes, one on each floor. Yeah, yeah, it's a flat iron building that's just. I don't know why someone turned it into a bowling alley. Someone wanted a bowling alley really bad. Uh, and yeah, no, it's the, the worst part about it is walking up and down the stairs with your bowling balls because, you know, all the bowling balls are stored downstairs. So Well, since, since, since the pneumatic tube bowling ball 
accident of 1978. Yeah, you got to go up and down the stairs. Yeah, but anyway, it, it's it's been closed for about five years now. Really, no one's using it. Um, if you know the mayor, you can get keys and use the bowling alley or at least go up on the roof or use the arcade. But the city owns it. And anyway, uh, enough about the bowling alley. <laughs> That's one of the few bowling alleys in the Pacific Northwest that are still around, it feels like. Uh, that hasn't been torn down. It's not in operation, but it hasn't been. Anyway, enough of the bowling alley. Uh, Copper Cow Coffee is who has brought this episode to you. Not some bowling alley that doesn't work. Copper Cow Coffee. You just pull it out, tear the top off, pour in hot water, and watch it drip down. I use about anywhere from five to six ounces to get kind of an Americano taste to it. It's amazing uh, Vietnamese coffee, uh, single serving. It's it's about a buck forty a pop for those, and I know that's cheaper than your Starbucks. So yeah, M- much cheaper from my untrained ears. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and if you uh, start doing a subscription service, you can save money if you buy a package like a. Uh, gift box you can save money and if you contact me message me and I'll hook you up with a disco uh, discount so yeah copper cow coffee Uh, a disco discount a disco discount so yeah I know you don't drink coffee Dave but I can hook you up (laughs) friends and family Maybe maybe I will convert yeah all right so I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com, forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember Innsmouth isn't just a place it's a state of mind. This is the part of the show where I talk with another human being whose name is not DB. And we are very lucky that we have uh, Manuel Aranis with us today. Emmanuel, uh, can you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Manuel Arenas, and uh, I am a, uh, a writer of 
poetry and uh, prose in the kind of gothic horror vein. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> Excellent. And do you have you have anything uh, out that people can pick up now or it's going to be out soon? Yes, definitely. Um, I have a book called Book of Shadows, which can be found at uh, jackandapespress.com. You can order it through there. And uh, I'm also featured on a couple of anthologies, um, the Averonia Legacy uh, from Pickman's Press. um, And, uh, oh gosh, uh, oh, the Walk Through a Darker Wood, um, and that is from Oxygen Man Books, and and I'm going to be on a follow-up book uh, that's coming out uh, called A Walk in a City of Shadows, which is Ooh. all uh, urban legends. And, and The Walk in a Darker Wood is folk horror, and I have a story in there, uh, which actually is uh, a... Uh, a story based on uh, some ideas from uh, Clark Ashton Smith and uh, the um, in the Urban Legends one I'm going to be doing a poem about the Slender Man and I, I also am a, a regular uh, contributor uh, to uh, Spectral Realms the uh, mm. journal of uh, uh, supernatural poetry from Hippocampus Press and also uh, I and, and the uh, Penumbra, which is also by them, uh, which is a collection of uh, short stories, poetry, and uh, literary criticism. Excellent. Oh, that, Excellent. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, obviously Lovecraft, but you also mentioned uh, Clark Ashton Smith are, are some of your influences. Uh, yes, how, how do they influence you? Uh, well, uh, Lovecraft, uh, well, actually... <laughs> Who came first was Edgar Allan Poe, uh, whom I was turned up to when I was a little boy. But um, I, through him, I came across H.P. Lovecraft because I had a a friend, one of my best friends when I was a teenager, who got tired of hearing me talk about Poe and he said, hey, have you ever heard of Lovecraft? So I was like, who? So I looked him up and uh, just read whatever I could lay my hands on and through him, I discovered Clark Ashton Smith and and uh, you know all the other uh, writers from the original Lovecraft circle and everything. And um, Lovecraft, for me, it's funny because to everybody, Lovecraft is tentacle monsters. And to me, what uh, I love about Lovecraft are his more gothic uh, leanings. And um, I like like the, like the Outsider. Yeah, yeah, and 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 also I I love I'm just a sucker for like uh, I'm also into folk tales and fairy tales and stuff. So the whole witchcraft angle. Uh, I lived in in New England for many years, and in Connecticut, and then in in Massachusetts, and you know I just totally am into the whole uh, old uh, old New England witchcraft and all that kind of stuff that. That whole scene, that whole thing from him, I really love. I also love his, uh, you know, the idea of uh, the old grimoires, the books of occult lore and things like that. Those are the things that I'm drawn more to than the more sci-fi aspects of his writing. Sure, sure. And, 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 and you, you, know, you, mentioned, you mentioned Poe, but 
absolutely my favorite poem of all time is Annabelle Lee. Ah, you know, I, I love that poem too. My mom used to uh, recite it to me when I was a little boy. And um, when I went to college, I uh, actually got some extra credit uh, reciting that and, uh, oh, and also some Shakespeare sonnets. Yeah, uh, like uh, off the top of my head. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that's a very, uh, that's a very uh, a poem that always makes me very emotional whenever I read it. Yeah, yeah, uh, I love that one. But yeah, so Lovecraft, uh, really, it's more his, uh, the uh, the forbidden knowledge, the old witchcraft, the old religions and all this kind of stuff and lots of that whole more gothic New England kind of aspect of his writing that I love. And and I love his language. And that's also what drew me to uh, Clark Ketchton Smith, um, who it's funny because like um, he he's actually I'm not really big on sci fi is what it boils down to. I, I don't care about what happens out in the cosmos. And uh, even though he writes a lot of that, that stuff, um, he, his, he's got such a gothic um, attitude about his writing. You know, he writes all this high fantasy and sci-fi, but it's so dark and it's so gothic. And his language is so rich and romantic. And I love that whole, you know, that goes back to Poe, that dark romanticism and the love of language and this, you know, musicality to the to the prose, and you know, Clark Ashton Smith really is uh, the king of that. And uh, uh, I'm even Lovecraft, even Lovecraft said that you've got well, yes. completely uh-huh. beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, those are the things that draw me to those writers more than some of the more you know outray aspects of their writing you know which people are more other people are more drawn to you know i i don't care so much about the flights of fancy as i am with the darkness and the and the doom and the gloom and i love the the language and that's those are the things that really draw me to both of those writers (laughs) you know and um you know and i'm I'm sure you know but many of our listeners may not clark ashton smith started out as a poet he Uh kind of got seduced into to weird writing uh-huh. Uh, but he he started out as a, a very well known or starting established poet uh, with um, uh, his book uh, The Star Trader and other poems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a protege of George Sterling. Yeah, a uh, big uh, uh, San Francisco um, uh, poet who was also uh, had a, a taste for uh, this kind of cosmic. Uh, romantic, you know, writing that uh, Clark Ashton Smith went into. But funny when Clark Ashton Smith really kind of embraced it and went whole hog with it and and started, you know, doing all this really dark fantasy stuff. George Sterling apparently was, you know, a little put off by by all the yeah. darkness and gloom from from that, and he, uh, they kind of had a parting of the ways at that point. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, what other who else have you have been influenced you besides uh, Lovecraft and Smith and Poe? Uh, Baudelaire was 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 someone okay. who uh, I, I was uh, really impressed with. Uh, again, a lot of the people that that I that I that I like, uh, I kind of uh, came to through Poe. You know, it's like oh, this person's influenced by Poe. Oh, okay, well let me check them out. You know, also uh, I love uh, I. I'm really, I really like uh, dark humor. There's a lot of dark humor in my writing, and uh, the um, Clark Ashton Smith actually has has some of that. 
in, in his stories. Uh, but a, one, another writer who's actually not quite so dark, but is another uh, fantasist uh, who has that uh, penchant for uh, that uh, humor is um, James Branch Cabell, who was uh, an American uh, fantasy writer from the early 1900s uh, from Virginia, I believe is where he was from. And uh, he wrote some amazing high fantasy novels, uh, which are very clever. And again, they're very rich in, 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 the, in the language and, uh, and in the understanding of uh, folklore and mythology. And there's a lot of that incorporated into his writing, uh, which I'm sure, you know, it, it was a big influence on on my own writing because I draw a lot from folklore and mythology and stuff like that, and uh, and my own stuff. And uh, I I'm, I know a lot of that came from him. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, uh, and and I I love Robert Block, uh, although oh, yeah. uh, Robert Block is a little more uh, how do you say his his humor is a little broader it's not quite as sophisticated as cabell or clark ashton smith but he's you know he he's definitely got a lot of that uh you know a lot of his titles are, are puns and Pun. he has a lot of uh you know kind of jokey uh, kind of humor and in, in his stories and uh, but I, I i i actually like his um his uh, mythos uh, tales a lot, actually. Oh yeah. Uh, so than 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 uh, some other people who are being, you know, I, I I'm not that big on uh, Robert E. Howard, you know. I whom I, I know probably a lot of people, uh, you know, listening to this will probably, you know, <laughs> will probably uh, you know get a little uh, bent out of shape about. But I'm I'm not a fan, mostly because I, I'm not a big fan of that the the whole uh, swords and sorcery. Uh, thing it it doesn't do anything for me, uh, but uh, but I love I love Robert Block I I well, love his yeah, his yeah I'm, I admit I'm a, a huge Howard fan but I'll tell you one of my favorite non Lovecraftian mythos stories is a Notebook Found in an Abandoned Farmhouse oh yes uh-huh. I, I love oh, that yeah. story that's just uh-huh. amazing yeah it is yeah and uh, another one I really like uh, which is not necessarily mythos related but is damn creepy story is um oh my god i always forget it's 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 uh oh my god it's it's the it's it's the name of this this like imp this invisible imp that sits on top of this guy's head and um and it uh he he it compels him to to kill people and it's a really that's a that's a story that's that's got some really dark humor in it and uh, oh God, it, it was made into um, it was it, you know when when Block was doing the the screenplays for for Amicus, he incorporated it into the Torture Garden uh, movie, and it's 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 with an E. It's something with an E. Oh my God, I my my brain is on derp right now. I can't quite get it to. Uh, I'm gonna have to look that one up. Off of yeah. it's sort of escaping. Um, yeah. Uh, it's 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 a brilliant story and it's really dark and it's just has such a the ending is <laughs> you know you can't help but laugh it's like wow <laughs> but but it's um it's really it's it's a really clever story and that's that's one of my favorites of his um, was it uh, the little man who wasn't there 
No, no, no. It's, uh, let me see. Uh, um, I don't know. All I have on my shelf is that, is a mythos collection. That's okay. That gives me something, a challenge to look up. Yeah. But, uh, definitely. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it was one of the episodes in, uh, Torture Garden and it starts with an E. It's it's just the name of the creature, and it's this little invisible imp that sits on his head. And it was it's a family thing. It was passed down to him from his mother, and it compels him to 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 kill people. And it 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 likes it eats heads. <laughs> so he's he's always going around, de- you know, decapitating these people and stuff, and giving the, giving the heads to this creature. Um, uh, Enoch. But yes. Yes, okay. Enoch. Uh, oh my God, that's it. Oh yeah, that is that is a dark but, but very funny tale. And yeah, I, I, I had to draw on that one. I was I had to think about that one. <laughs> I tell you, one of the first. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. One of the first, and we're kind of verging off here, but one of the first horror stories that wasn't Lovecraft that I read as like a uh, young teenager mm. was Block's uh, "Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper." Oh yes, yeah. I had, um, in fact, I think I still have it somewhere. Uh, a little tiny chapbook that was put out in in the nineties. Uh, I used to uh, I used to go to this uh, secondhand bookshop in Boston called the uh, Avenue Victor Hugo Bookstore. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore except for as an online store. Uh, but it was my favorite store, and I worked at Tower Records right across the street. And every paycheck, every Friday when I get paid, I would go to the store and I'd buy at least one or two things. And I was really into buying the Necronomicon Press chapbooks at the time. That's where I really got to read a lot of Clark Ashton Smith. And uh, one of the things uh, that I bought at the time was that was there was a little tiny chapbook of the Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper. And I that and I, I read that, and uh, you know a lot of those um, were made into uh, uh, thriller episodes. You know the the Boris yeah, Karloff show from the '60s, and I I believe that's one of them. I believe they, they... I, I know it was made into something. I think you're right. It's thriller, and, and mm-hmm. a lot of too. This is again for a block appreciation society, but mm-hmm. a lot of block horror stories, including Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper was adapted and made into original Star Trek. The Wolf in the Fold, he based on he, yeah, The Wolf in the Fold, which he wrote, he has credit for, was based on yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Ah, interesting. Well, I, I know he was doing a lot of that stuff at the time, you know, uh, uh, the television shows, you know, screenplays and everything. I, I think once uh, once uh, uh, Psycho, Psycho took off, yeah. he, you know, he, he was the golden boy for a little while. So he he definitely took advantage of that, um, but uh, yeah, I I love those I love those those stories. He's got a a great sense of humor and a great imagination, and uh, he has a way amazing of, writer. Mm-hmm, yeah, and he has a way of like uh, bringing the uh, uh, kind of like uh, Gay and Wilson. They bring the mundane or rather the uh, uncanny into the mundane you know they they kind of have a have a way of mixing them really well you know these these uh, average everyday people uh experiencing these you know wild and crazy things and it's 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 kind of interesting the way he's able to do that now getting kind of back into sort of because you write both poetry and prose yes sir. Is, is that difficult uh 
Yes. <laughs> okay. Is it more difficult to do both well than say do one well? Well, it's like I've been I've been writing um, uh, poetry uh, since the 1980s, more or less. And you know, I came to poetry um, partially. I mean, partially through like Edgar Allan Poe and. And, uh, and 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 all that. And when I was uh, a, a kid, I I had a, an English teacher who saw that I was leaning in that direction and loaned me her college textbook. And I read I read you know Milton and and uh, and Keats and and uh, Wordsworth and all these people. And um, but to be honest, when it came time for me to write, I was really coming from rock and roll lyrics and stuff, you know. Sure. Uh, so my stuff wasn't very uh, wasn't very disciplined it was kind of uh, all over the place and so it took me years to uh, you know I, I tried I tried submitting it to different places and you know I got well you know it's it's interesting but it's you know it's not quite polished enough kind of thing for years and years and uh, it wasn't until uh, fairly recently uh, just a few years ago, it was uh, 2018, I guess it was, when um, uh, I finally got accepted to Spectral Realms, and that was, you know, after yeah, uh, I was encouraged by uh, Ashley Diosis um, to um, submit something, and sure. I did, and and it was. It was accepted, but once I got in there and I started trying to to uh, to submit to other places, I found out very quickly that my kind of slapdash, you know, way of doing the poetry wasn't uh, wasn't going to cut it. It's one thing in a rock and roll song, but to be published, it has to be, you know, has to be much more polished. And polished. since I was and since I was leaning towards you know traditional verse. I really had to clean up my act because I had also kind of, uh, you know, uh, I liked some, you know, coming from the humor thing. I had looked at some Ogden Nash poetry and I saw that, you know, his his stuff was kind of amusing. And re really what I wanted to do was write these dark little humorous ditties, these things that uh, uh, kind of like uh, Edward Gorey, you know, whose birthday is today, by the way. Uh, mm. uh, you know, I was really influenced by Edward Gorey, too, you know, and so I wanted to kind of do that kind of dark, macabre, uh, rhyming, you know, poetry that's that's almost, you know, childlike in its playfulness, but, you know, very dark and and uh, and uh, with these, you know, really uh, sinister undercurrents and. So I thought, well, Ogden Nash writes a lot of stuff. And when I tried to when I tried to uh, look at his work uh, from a technical aspect, honestly, a lot of it is it's it's all over the place too. It's kind of free, you know. So I said, well, you know, so this is something I can do. And no, <laughs> not when you've got people like you know uh, Adam Bolivar and you know uh, Ashley Diosis and and uh, Kyle Opperman and all these people who are so good at what they do you know my half-baked stuff wasn't gonna cut it so i had to really up my game and and it's it's hard for me you know uh i uh 
it takes a long time for me. I'm kind of a slow writer because I agonize over every word and everything. So, sure. Uh, it takes me a while to get there um, already. And then, you know, with this kind of, you know, uh, with these examples, uh, I had to I had to really up my game. So it's, you know, I'm a little more... Uh, I'm a little more aware of that, and I and I try really hard to make a, you know a quality uh, poem, and and I even I even confer with them sometimes, you know, because I'm friends with all of them at least, uh, you know, electronically, and I, I you know because we all get published in Spectre Realms and stuff, you know, and on sometimes I'll I'll say, hey, what do you think about this, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, so for that, it's very hard for me. But one thing that I am good at is uh, the prose poem which is, uh, you know, more um, just very poetic uh, prose style, you know, which, which has a, did sometimes too. Yeah, exactly. Yes, he did. And, and so did, uh, mm-hmm, and, and, and uh, so did Clark and Smith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I seem to have a knack for that. And um, that seems to do well. And, you know, uh, uh, when I send it to Spectral Realms, uh, it gets, it gets featured, you know, in the in the blurb. Whereas if I just submit verse, it usually doesn't even get mentioned, you know. When I hit this other, more, uh, uh, you know, uh, more accomplished uh, versifiers in the collection, but uh, but I, I do well with those. Um, I, fi- I find I, I take to it more naturally because I have, you know, I have a good ear for for words and and uh, and stuff. And uh, <laughs> as I say, and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well, it's different. It's different sometimes saying it on a show and, and writing. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I mean, when I when I speak, I use all the, you know, all the things that would make my English teacher cringe. You know, all the slang and you know, crappy grammar and uh, all these, um, uh, well, like that, um, and yeah. like and all that stuff that uh, you know are no nos. In, in writing, I say all that stuff, and I, I I swear like a sailor, and I say all kinds of stupid, goofy stuff. But you know, when it comes to my writing, I take it very seriously, and I I do have that you know uh, desire to write. So ultimately, what I want to do is write as beautifully as possible about the most horrible things, you know. So, uh, in fact, I think I think Baudelaire. I think I read a quote of Baudelaire saying something to that effect that you know he he liked to write. Uh, beautifully about uh, horrible things or something to that effect and uh, I remember it struck me and I was like that's what I want to do I want to write these beautiful little you know poems uh, about these dark and you know devilish things and uh, that's you know that's my ultimate aim you know to write the the, the nicest uh, things that I can about the most horrible things and uh, and I, I I write you know regular short short stories that aren't so um, uh, you know, the, the focus is more on the story than the language, but um, you know, it's it's still you know I still use the same a lot of the same language and stuff. It's just a little more you know more involved. There's action and there's dialogue and things like that. Whereas the prose poems are more like vignettes. They're like little beautiful scenes and descriptions and stuff. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, really loved having you here, but we're close to running out of time but but we always have one sort of this is sort of our our signature question to all our guests so yes sir. i'm excited to hear what your your answer is going to be 
Okay. If you could be put in charge of one project, any medium, you don't have to worry about money. You, you'll get whatever financial backing you need. Don't even have to worry about copyrights. What is your dream project? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, um, well, there's there's a couple of things. I have a couple of uh, stories that I would love to see um, interpreted, you know, adapted for film. Uh, mm. And uh, and one thing which probably is, is a little more unusual, I have a little uh, humorous uh, fairy tale kind of thing. It's called Gothilax, and it's a spoof on the Goldilocks story, and it it uh, involves the uh, the the classical monsters and stuff. And uh, instead of Goldilocks, it's it's Gothilocks, who's you know this uh, obnoxious goth girl. Uh, but um, I always wanted to turn that into something animated, like a, a, oh, okay. a, a puppet show or or a uh, a stop motion feature or something you know i i think it would lend itself to that uh, oh yeah and and for a while there i was actually talking to friends about uh doing um like one of these books um i talk about it in 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 my book of shadows uh in the introduction i, I write about uh, you know the individual stories and how they came about and i i put in there with uh who was the company that used to do them but like in the I think it was in the early 70s or something there was a company that used to do these photo books uh, of fairy tales with um, with puppets mm. and uh, they and uh, you know they would have the story you know uh, and they would put a picture on each page and it would be like a little a little um, uh, tableau you know a little scene from from the story but it was all done with these puppets and uh i would love to see a uh gothilox uh book like that um i i think i think that'd be <laughs> that would be wicked fun that would that'd be uh that'd be a, a fun thing yeah that yeah, i would like to see that too yeah so yeah i guess if i had if i had the money i would probably do something like that Excellent. So just again, I hope to have you on soon, but where can our uh, listeners find your, your, your existing work? Uh, well, like I said, uh, you can find Spectral Realms and Penumbra at hippocampuspress.com. You can find my Book of Shadows at jackandapespress.com. And um, the if you go to Amazon, you can find uh, the... Um, the other anthologies, the Everwanya Legacy from uh, Pickman's Press, uh, A Walk in a Dark Wood uh, from Oxygen Man, the, the Walk in a City of Shadows, and I was also in another one. It was a phantasmagorical promenade, Ooh. Uh, which uh, I have a little vignette in there. It's just like all ghost stories by different authors, and uh, that, oh gosh, was from... Uh, another project from the Oxygen Man folks, um, but it was a different. It was one of their earlier imprints. It was Planet, Planet. Oh gosh, it was Planet something books. But anyways, they're all on on Amazon, so you can just go on there. And in fact, so is if you want to, you can find the Book of Shadows on on Amazon as well, as well as the uh, uh, Hippocampus books. Um, so those are where you can find them. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, and we hope to have you on again soon. 
So thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Hey everyone, we are back, and it is time for us to talk about some D&D on D&D. And this week we're talking about flying polyps. Dave, go talk to your doctor about flying polyps. Yes. You're, you're that age. You're, you're, yes. you're, you're over 50. You need to go talk to your doctor about flying polyps. I have had my polyp exam for the year. Good, good, good. All right. Um... Yeah, no, I mean, nowadays they just got a thing where all you got to do is, no, um, flying polyps. Oh, flying polyps, yeah. So we're, we're, we're talking about one of those groups of, uh, one of those species that came down from the stars in like the Jurassic or Jurassic era, um, messed with the Ithians, messed with the star spawn, messed with the elder things, and they gave as good as they got, but... Ultimately, I think they got gotten. Well, Our, we don't see them. Yeah. And, and, and there's a couple of things here about the flying polyps. Mm-hmm. They're not really well described. No. Deliberately. Yeah. We don't get it from the flying polyp side. No. You know, the Migo, we hear the Migo side. Sure. Yithians, we hear the Yithians. We have at least to be able to read the elder things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The flying polyps that we don't we don't get their side of the version yeah so they're this sort of literally faceless monstrous enemy that's fighting all these supernatural beings sure um so a couple of things that they're mainly mentioned in shadow out of time sure what a couple of things about this before we get into it and in, in role-playing games yeah uh shadow of time was written in 1935 okay could be one of the last stories that Lovecraft writes. And the reason uh, he's going to get, um, he's just going to be devastated with the reviews from the Mountains of Madness. Yeah. Uh, And so he's going to pretty much stop writing. Doesn't mean that things that he hasn't been written Mm -hmm. aren't going to be submitted. So I believe Shadow of Time was printed in his lifetime. Okay. But he didn't like it. Huh. He didn't particularly like it. He wasn't that happy with it. In fact, he inadvertently or on purpose accidentally mails his original copy uh-huh. to August Ehrlich. Okay. He, he's not that... He, like I said, he, he just was not that happy with it. Hmm. Um, so here's the other thought. And, and I think this is completely coincidence. Sure. 
But you know, as you, you know, joking. We think of polyps. We think of, of girls. You know, we we think of, of cancer. Yeah. Um. So this is right before, or roughly when he starts complaining about the gripe. Okay. The gripe is going to be eventually diagnosed three years later. You know, as intestinal cancer. Okay. And and so I'm I do, I wonder. If maybe in love, we don't have any evidence, and this would just be completely speculation and guess, and probably isn't true. Yeah. But might make a good part of a role-playing game set in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Maybe Lovecraft kind of suspects that maybe he's got something. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really start showing signs. He doesn't go see the doctor for another three years. Maybe he starts researching Paulus. Hmm. That's the name come. We don't know. But yeah. And probably not, but it would make it for an interesting role playing game. Sure. Yeah. And, and so if you if you Google that kind of shifting gears, if you Google find Paulus and go to like the image search, mm-hmm. nobody's going to they're they're all gonna look different. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody draws it the same way. Because there's no solid description. I mean, Lovecraft and almost fiendishly Describes, you know, what the elder things look like, sure, or, or what the great Yithian, yeah. you know, race. But for a writer and a game master, this gives you a lot of things. Definitely. Well, but well, you know, you get that you get that guy. Uh-huh. Oh, that flying balls don't do that. Sure. You don't know. It doesn't say anything about the flying balls, practically, other than they fly. Yeah. No, you can give them powers. You can give them uh, descriptions. You can say that what was described was just uh, a larva or, like, uh, an infantry or whatever. Treat them like ants. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know. Uh, treat them like uh, mindless insects that 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 burrow and uh, create basalt structures. I mean, that's that's something I've done with them in the past. But yeah, no, because of the fact that the Yithians uh, don't really give them any sort of like, for lack of word, humanity. Uh, they they don't really give them any real presence, and it doesn't sound like that they have a mind. Even it just sounds like they're this this force of destruction that needs to be dealt with. It's like um, like a lot which of which may or may not be true. Uh, which may or may not be true, and a lot of things in the Cthulhu mythos, it's 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 less like uh, a conflict that we think of, and it's more like a natural disaster. When 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 stuff happens in the Cthulhu mythos, it's it's generally pretty devastating, and it's not like, you know, oh yeah, this group of people attacked us and then we attacked them. It's, it's, it's the island sank. Yeah, the island sank. Um, a whole Our group. slave race just wiped us out. Exactly, exactly. And it's 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 always like because we're looking at stuff through the uh, scope of deep time. We get to see all of their civilization at once, or all of this at once, and all of that at once. Um, but with the flying polyps, we don't get jack. We know that they had the basalt, uh, basalt, not bath salt. Uh, they had the basalt towers and. Uh, they had a wind power that they could use, and you know they could call up winds. And um, I think that's about it. So, so, but here's here's an assumed power. Sure. We know that they destroyed the Yithian homeworld. 
Yeah, okay, yeah. But then the Yithians escape mm-hmm. to these pre-Cambian creatures that are, you know, on Earth. Yeah, yeah. And then they, the, the Apollos destroy them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like millions of years. So either the polyps can travel time. Yeah. Or they hold grudges. Yeah. That they have this sort of memory and they are not chasing the Yithians through time. Yeah. They're just expansionist. That they're everywhere in the universe. Then they just they just rediscovered, you know, where the Yithians are hiding. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things you could do. You could treat them as polyps, like a cancerous polyp in time. Like it exists in all points of time. It's just different periods of time. It's different sizes. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so, and, so one thing also I'm thinking for a modern game. Sure. So if they kind of get this impression too that that the flying polyps change like yeah. cancer does. Yeah. So I could see a modern or a high tech or a cyberpunk or a deep space Call of Cthulhu game where the bio corporation is trying to capture one. Sure. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like uh, aliens, but instead of you know wiping them out, let's capture one and and try to you know cure cancer or whatever space disease there is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I could also see it uh, affecting, like, since we don't really know how it works or anything like that, what if it affected, uh, like, society like a cancer, but, like, visually, like, not, not, not an unseen cancer, maybe in some cases an unseen cancer that grows, but polyps that just kind of, like, uh, attack other things, and then those become infected, and they become polyps. Mm-hmm. Uh, could happen with any matter of matter, honestly. Any manner of matter, honestly. And I don't know, those, um, because the polyps, the flying polyps, have never really been like, oh, this is what they do, this is what they are. I mean, except for in like role playing supplements. But let's, let's add something new to the polyps. Let's, let's make them, like, there's a reason that several world-spanning, galactic-moving civilizations were like, no, we need to get rid of these things. No, like, 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 okay, this is like the one thing that Yithians freak out about. I mean, it's like the elder things freak out about Shoggoths for a good reason. There's probably a good reason that you should freak out about flying polyps. And, and... So you can sort of flip this on the head. Yeah. You know, so Yithians are seen kind of as the good guys. Yeah. They're they're alien, but they've got their own sort of agenda, but they don't, they don't, you know, do biopsies on human beings. They don't, Mm -hmm. you know, kidnap us and probe us. No. But what if, what if everything we know about the polyps comes from a different race. Yeah. What if they're actually kind of noble, benign creatures? Yeah, yeah. But they they, they look like these terrible, you know, terrible monsters. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, they they're, they're actually sort of 
advanced and and and, and maybe maybe they're the good guys Could or be. if there is such a good guy yeah yeah and you know you know the the players of course uh destroy you know we destroyed the terrible Paul of Bays, you know, guided by the the Yithians and the the, the elders, the, the Migos, and, and find at the end there's a how we're going to end famine in the world, you know, yeah. sort of a reverse to to uh, to serve man as a cookbook, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. they're 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 there to uh, to boost up mankind and then the players destroy it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the main thing about the flying polos. Yeah. Um, the other thing is if you're doing like a, uh, you know, a D and D or you know, a, a Conan game. Yeah. Since they fly, mm-hmm. you know, you could use their icor as like the main ingredient for for flying potions. Ooh. I like that. I like that. You know, that could be, you know, the 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 local out, town alchemist is paying, you know, a bounty on on you know what the bladder or whatever the gizzard of the the flying polyp to to make potions. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, who knows what the composition of one of those things is? It, it could be like dried up. And then, like, turned into a powder, which is then uh, mixed with some greases and stuff like that, and then used to, like, treat leathers so that, I don't know, um, you can phase walk once per day or something like that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Even though I totally forgot if phase walk is... I think that's a different game. <laughs> eh, close enough. Close enough. Oh, you can go intangible or move thirty feet. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. No, I, I really think, even though they're not really that well described, they're 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 this like phantom of the Yithians. It's it's they're threatening they're they're the scary boogeyman. they're boogeyman yeah 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 it's like a deep time boogeyman and, and and i have another theory sure sure so like i said right about the time that lovecraft introduced this is about when he's going to swear off writing okay but i think that maybe if he had not gotten this terrible reviews or what he saw as terrible reviews of mountains of badness mm-hmm. or had not become sick, we would have seen a flying polyp-centric story mm-hmm. in the same things that we see a Migo-centric story yeah. or an Elder Things-centric story. So I think he was... I think there's a good chance he might have focused a story that would have been their point of view. Okay. But it, just, it didn't happen in our world. Sure, yeah. Huh. Well, uh, if, if anyone out there is from a parallel timeline and you know anything about this, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Anyone from parallel timelines. We, we really do love to hear from people from parallel timelines about things that didn't happen. So, Except for you, Evil Dave. Yeah, Evil Dave. Walking around with your gold lame sash and your goatee. <laughs> So, so I got one more idea, though. Sure. This is kind of, let's say, maybe an April Fool's 
but it's a modern it, a modern uh, setting, or it could be twenties. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Flying Paulists realize that they're sort of no, they don't have their story out. Yeah. So they hire like a New York uh, PR firm. Okay. And you got to investigate this this PR firm, you know, that's trying to trying to spin the Flying Paulists on the the good side or yeah. positive side. Oh yeah, yeah. Or or uh, you could have uh, in, in in an old timey game, you could have like a uh, traveling circus, and one of the acts is the flying polyps, and the that, investigators cool. show up thinking they're going to see monsters, but in fact, it's like they're like, no, 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 we're polyps. It, it used to be polypsky, and then we yeah. moved to America, so, and they changed our name to polyp. Or so, so, or it oh, could yeah. be a band, the flying polyps. Polyp. Yeah, and they're not really flying polyps, but they are vampires. Woo! <laughs> Sorry, so, that was dumb. No, 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 that's cool. So I got one more idea though sure. for 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 D and D. Okay. How about okay? So we know that you know Dagon is the most powerful of the Hydra. Sure. Right. Yeah. And the, so there's a lot that this is the most powerful example. Mm-hmm. Whatever you know, the king of the flying polyps. As a, a warlock patron. Ooh, nice. I like that. I like that. Yeah, just a really powerful, you know, because even, even I think in the fifth edition, powerful unicorns can be patrons. Oh, cool. So, you know, a, a powerful, uh, you know, a flying polyp could make a, a great, you know, warlock patron. Yeah, I was thinking, or like if you had a small small one you could have it as your like familiar or i don't know pet mount <laughs> a large one could be your mount <laughs> but i don't know if they have any corrupting uh, uh abilities so who knows <laughs> yeah no that's yeah, you give it to them yeah yeah but yeah no i i think we actually found something to do with flying polyps <laughs> other than flying polyps attack <laughs> <laughs> and fly. And fly away. Yeah. All right. So, Dave, now that we're at the end of the show, uh, anything you've been watching recently? Uh, so, I've just been watching uh, crime documentaries. Ooh. I did see, I did see this terribly average TV show uh-huh. that... I just thoroughly enjoyed, and there's nothing to recommend it for. Okay. Uh, In from the cold. Okay. All right. Yeah, on Netflix, where where uh, a, a spy who um, has some sort of power, we won't say what it is. Sure. Uh, well, uh, is forced back after 20 years, but I mean, it's not an original thought in it. It's it's Atomic Blonde meets Black Widow sure. meets Winter Soldier meets uh-huh. Salt. Okay. But it was fun. It, the, it, I will say the acting is strong. Writing's okay, but the, the acting is, is, is strong. Especially, uh, there's a the young Ukrainian actress who plays the Russian spy in the 90s. Uh-huh. Amazing. Okay. What about you? Are, are you seen anything new? Just watching, just finished watching like a bunch of other people. Just finished uh, Book of Boba Fett uh, last week, and this week I finished Peacemaker. Um, other than that, I've just really been playing a lot of Star Wars video games. I've been playing 
Oh, goodness. Uh, uh, Force Unleashed on, uh, yeah, the old uh, PS2 game. And I've also been playing uh, Jedi Fallen Order and Fallout New Vegas, of course. (laughs) I saw saw you... uh... I saw you got a uh, Cyberpunk 20, uh, 2077. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, when the news dropped that the uh, 1.5 uh, release, like uh, 1.5 patch had been done so that it was actually playable on PS4s, I, I found out at like 4 o'clock in the morning, and then I just hopped online and bought like a really nice version of Cyberpunk 77 for 10 bucks for the PS4. What I didn't know at that point in time is that they hadn't uh, created a patch to make it so that the P- it was playable on the PS4 again because PlayStation had ma- made it so that you couldn't play it on the PS4 just because of the fact that it was not ready to be played on a PS4 by any stretch of the imagination. So hopefully 22nd, 23rd, it'll be showing up and uh, I'm going to be missing deadlines for a while. But yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that world. I Me love too. The, Me too. I love... I love Cyberpunk uh, 2020. Yeah. I yeah. love Cyberpunk Red. Yeah. Cyberpunk 3.x. We did not discuss that. It's like <laughs> it's like Highlander too. We don't discuss it. Fourth edition. Uh, but D&D. I can go on for something I can't discuss. I can talk about something I don't discuss for hours. Sure. But yeah, it basically uh, sort of it took the character creation, kind of made it like. Uh, I thought it was greatly influenced by um, World of Darkness, Vampire, and Mage, yeah. because you got to grow these. But it basically took this, the, I mean, arguably those three role-playing cyberpunk universes, cyberpunk, mm-hmm. cyberpunk GURPS, mm-hmm. and Shadowrun. Yeah. And it was probably the cutting-edge setting for a cyberpunk. And oh, it yeah. made it a yeah. post-cyberpunk setting. Yeah. Uh, which I think was a big mistake, and then Red, Red, Red is a decent attempt to get uh-huh. that back, and then 2077, just the world setting. Like I said, I tell people I can't play video games. I make the people walk in the walls. Sure, yeah. But I, I, I've seen enough cut throughs that there's a, that I'm laughing at stuff that the players don't laugh because you know, uh, V gets caught up in customs, uh, in. Uh, uh, on Meta Island. Uh-huh. Wow. Let me tell you the history of Meta Island. Nobody, and it's these throwaway jokes that I love. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. There's, there's... I think it's. A... Oh, sorry. No, no. I think it's a good attempt at redemption of this universe. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm, I'm excited to play it. Uh, I've got like another day or two before it arrives because I got a physical copy for dirt cheap. <laughs> um. So what you're saying is your fixer rolled a 10 and then another 10 for double crits on his street deal roll. Yeah, but then uh, my my cool isn't high enough, and uh, I, I don't. I'm trying to think if this would be cool or not. But um, yeah, I, I I I decided to order it. My my fixer did great, but I made the mistake of ordering it uh, right around a holiday. Uh-huh. <laughs> where no one's going to be delivering anything, so I have to wait a couple of days. I don't know if you've ever had that, where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to pay shipping, and it's going to be here, and then it's like, oh, no, no, holiday. 
<laughs> weekend and then a holiday, and it's like, oh, I'm not going to get that until the middle of the week. But yeah, that's my uh, yeah. I'm excited about this. Um, I'm I I I love I love Shadowrun, and I super love GURP Cyberpunk, and I super 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 love just Cyberpunk in general. The whole genre. William Gibson. Um, I will I will admit, and people might get mad at me about this. I was not a fan of Snow Crash. I thought Snow Crash was dumb. <laughs> I still haven't read it, read it yet. I, I really need to. In in the same kind of way that it's like, if 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 you're like really into Dune and then you saw see Star Wars, you're like, oh, so it's about some kid who's special from a desert planet. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, no, no, it's 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 like when you see what's influenced by what 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 you actually like, it's like, well, that's cool and everything. I like what they did, but uh, have you seen? Have you read Dune? Yes. <laughs> Although I don't want to be that. But have you read Dune, guy? Yes. <laughs> Trivia yeah. fact: mm-hmm. Most of Dune was written in the city of Florence, Oregon. Interesting. That is really yeah. cool. I've Herber, been to Florence. Uh, Frank Herbert was uh, a reporter for the Oregonian at the time, and he would go out to the beach and he would he would watch the 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 beach dunes to get influence for the setting of the planet. Oh wow, that's I I had no idea. Um, there's a ongoing joke in my family that anytime you see a dune that you point out and say, "Hey, there's the dune that they wrote the book about." And it could be. I mean, like we we've been doing that joke in in our household forever. Or like if a dune, you see a dune, a sand dune on TV, it's like, oh hey, look, it's that dune that they wrote the book about. It's 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 a dumb joke that uh, Dusseldorf and Barbacoa think is hilarious in the car and on while watching TV or playing Minecraft. Now they've started doing it with Minecraft. So, but if you drive down to Florence. They might be right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, an yeah. 80-year-old sand dude is the same, but... Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, everyone, unless there's anything that you have to mention, Dave, I think we need to get out of here because I hear some uh, wind rustling picking up. There might be some, uh, some, some flying polyps coming our way in the way of um, more short stories coming to you and uh to cover up the end of the month i ran out of uh, astounding stories of uh super science and i oh, threw no. in I, I threw in some old episodes of suspense brought well, to you by roma wine <laughs> well that's that, that that's good now i yeah. feel better yeah yeah and and uh just to make it even better i i I, I didn't even like put in any intro stuff, no ads, just kind of like, hey, sorry we ran out. Here's some stuff to tide you over, and it's just straight audio. <laughs> Love us. Yeah, yeah. All right, everyone, we will talk to you next week, and we'll be talking about. Do you know what we're talking about, Dave? I was kind of strolling through that to see what we will be talking about as I come up. Oh, oh, oh. I, I just got a note. I just got a note. Uh, someone from the, stu- uh, the the office was tired of listening to us. Formless Spawn and Fathagua 
Fathagua. F-T-H-A-G-G-U-A. I don't know. Sounds made up. <laughs> sounds Delorthian to me, actually. Yeah. Formless Spawn. Nice. Uh, that's what, what, Sathagwa's kids? Uh, we'll discuss that. We'll save it for All right. All next right. week. We'll see you next week, everyone. And again, uh, Bad Shark Blackhand, thank you so much for writing us. And also, Innsmouth, uh, uh, our, our friends over in England, uh, thank you for uh, uh, the Innsmouth Writing Circle. No, the Innsmouth, uh, Innsmouth House. Oh, who, who are they, Dave? The Innsmouth Gold? or Yeah, Inns- yeah. Uh, yes, they have several of them, but uh, the Ensworth uh, uh, Book Club. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again for uh, uh, joining our Patreon to them, and they get to get extras and uh, stuff without ads and all that other kind of fun stuff, and just a free sticker and the knowledge that they're helping support the show. All right, everyone, enough of me rambling and stammering. This has been The People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, hosted by David Heath, D.B. Spitzer, Spitzer. Uh, sponsored by Copper Cow Coffee and Glary Guitars. Music, as always, by D.B. Spitzer. And we will see you next week. Same bat channel, same bat time. But not bats. Like, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe Minox. All right. We'll see you next time, everyone. Radio.